Before you go, quick question. Would you like to receive twice a month for free my top five email? It's an email that I craft with love and passion in which I share what inspired me recently, books and film that had an impact on me, but also things I've been thinking about, gear, tips and photos that I absolutely love. If that resonates with you, if you want to peek into that universe, please join thousands of other readers. Sign up for free at ptl.fm forward slash top five. That's ptl.fm forward slash top five. Thank you so much and have a beautiful day. Remember, try something different, try something new. Good morning podcast and welcome to a new episode. My name is Pierre Lambert and today I have an amazing guest. My guest is Eric Hercules. Eric is a photographer who helped redefine a new genre in footwear and lifestyle photography and his subject and angle choices have become viral ideas that transcend digital media. Ex-photographs have appeared on billboards in Shanghai and Times Square, stores like Foot Locker, auction at the Guggenheim Museum and published in magazines internationally. So he has some cachet and some proof of work right there. He's a self-taught photographer. Eric's musical training provided a useful framework for his non-traditional path into the world of still photography. And that's something I think is going to be very interesting to dig into. Currently, Eric is the Sony Alpha ambassador, World of Dance contributor and educator for the next generation of digital photographer. He currently leads his own visual and strategy agency called Hercules New York and the chief creative officer and co-founder of INCMMN, I think I got that one right, a new age B2B agency bridging the gap between creatives, agencies and brands. Pardon my accent, it goes all over the place sometimes. As an advocate, Eric is also the Secretary General of the Influencer Council of America, where he leads creative first conversations directly with digital platforms like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat. He has spoken on leadership panels at American colleges and universities and consulted with brand agencies and places like the White House aiming to help communities move forward. Eric, this is not a short bio. I love it. There is like... So many just from that aspects where I'm like, let's let's dive into this angle. Um, so I think it's going to be very interesting. We've got a few things to talk about. And for the personal note, before uh, we get started, uh, Eric and I, we met in 2019 at uh, Kando, uh, an event organized by Sony. And yeah, we hit it off. But interesting conversation debates even and uh, shot also some levitation photography which you're really known for without photoshop so eric welcome to this podcast thank you so much for having me it's good to see you pierre it's it's awesome to uh actually uh, flip a little bit the discussion because we met in new york city recently and we had tons of conversations but when you go through the podcast aspect it um I'm able to do a little more background search and, uh, mm. and uh, you know, find topics where I'm like, okay, let's dig into just that. Whereas if you're breeding it up in the middle of the street, it's kind of weird sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, but I'm excited to, you know, dig deep. So, so ask along. <laughs> All right, Eric, I'm, I'm very curious about something that, that you wrote down. It was that you actually studied business. And there was a component of opera in it and music. Can you tell me a little bit about what's your origin story and how did you go from that to falling into the photography world? 
Yeah, man, I think it was a very organic transition. I mean, I, I started singing when I was eight. My dad is a mariachi singer. He he represented Ecuador in like the mariachi festival in Mexico like every year. Which no was, way. Which was super interesting. Yeah. So so I always looked up to my dad and his musicianship and how much he gave into his art. So obviously, you know, I started singing at a very young age and I guess I, I was discovered. My voice was discovered super young. So my mom really took that seriously. And that's part of why we actually came to America. My parents wanted to give me uh, really good training uh, for, for, for voice, you know, in South America, I don't think art is regarded as, as something that you, uh, you do if you want to have a, if you want to make a living, uh, they don't take it really seriously. And so they wanted me to have a, a bigger goal in life. And so they've been supported from the start. They, I came here, I immediately joined the school choir. Uh, and by the time I was 10, I was singing uh, in this choir called the Young People's Chorus of New York City, whom introduced me to Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, Madison Square Garden. And, and they allowed me to perform with all these um, in all these major projects. So as a young kid being trained in in, in voice, uh, I thought I was going to be the next opera singer, you know. And, and so I went to high school for singing. Then I went to conservatory for singing. And um three and a half years into my conservatory career, I realized something. I realized that I wasn't really happy. And the reason why mm -hmm. I wasn't happy, I came to find out, you know, in hindsight, was that I was doing it because everybody told me I was good. Uh, not because I really wanted to do it for a living. Um, but so, so um, during that time, I had started this t-shirt brand and I needed to do photography for this t-shirt brand. I was about 19 or 20. And, um, and so I bought this cheap camera, this Nikon D80, and I started shooting with it everywhere. And at that time, Instagram was just coming along and I was just posting a bunch of like iPhone only images. So I met a couple of friends through there who also kind of had a, a, a vision for photography, all of us amateurs. And I started hanging out with them and, and um, photography really kind of started to become my love in there for the freedom that it that it gave me you know opera is a very rigid art form uh you need mm -hmm. to sing in a certain way if you sing baroque or if you sing uh romantic you can do certain things there are certain parameters that uh, that you need to to think about every time you, you pick up a, a piece of classical music but with photography i mean it's the the world is in your hands and you don't really get to um say what's right or wrong you just do something because you feel it you know, and so I started discovering, um, you know, we did puddle grams back in the day and then slowly evolved into levitation um, with brands. But eventually, yeah, I, I, I guess business school fits into this equation because I had to quit opera, but I couldn't tell my mom, hey, mom, I'm just going to quit opera and pursue photography. I had to like, <laughs> so what I did is I quit opera three years and a half into my career and I, and I went to business school. So I studied business for three years and a half again. And in that second half of the last semester of my business school career, um, one of my biggest campaigns uh, opportunities came out. So Swatch hit me up and they were like, hey, we love what you did with this one uh, dancer, uh, Rocker Deasy. He's a, he's a Jabberwocky from Las Vegas. He's like, you guys just levitated this phone in front of him as he was jumping in the air. We want you to do that for Swatch, uh, but you need to do it this week. And uh, that week was finals week. So it was between taking my finals or going to Las Vegas to shoot this campaign. And uh, I chose to go to Las Vegas and here we are, you know? <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> so sometimes you have to just, you know, do what, what, what you feel is right. And, uh, and I've always seen 
uh, an opening for me in photography. So I took it, you know, and, and um, I'm blessed that I'm blessed that it's, it's worked out the way it's had. And I had a chance to meet all these incredible creative people like yourself um, through it. But that's a little bit of how the evolution kind of took place. How did the, I'm, I'm curious because I can only imagine, you know, when you're trained the same way um, or like for, let's say music, you know, and, and for singing, was there, was it a slow transition in your mind where you like, you feel less and less interested or you realize more and more that is, or is it like a wake up thing where in the morning you're like, oh, this isn't, this isn't really me. It's what others think I should be doing. It took a little bit of, so I guess I ran out of, I ran, I ran from home twice to pursue this photography thing, <laughs> you know? So like, I was really about it. I was like, mom, I can see myself doing this. Um, in opera, to be honest, um, I realized that I was doing it for so long that it had become a chore. It had become a job. Mm. And that's something that I recommend that as creative is try to find ways to always, if you, if you love something, try to find ways to always fall in love back with the art form. And I think I didn't really do that. I was very young and I was already performing professionally since I was 12. So like mm. the parameters and my, my goals were so big that I think they trumped the, the aspect of just singing for fun. You know, yeah. Um, so I, I really didn't enjoy it as much. I didn't train as much. I didn't want to learn the languages as much. It wasn't as exciting to me as as um, as photography was, you know. And I, I think I didn't really discover myself as much in classical music as I did through photography. Um, but I must say the transition was easy, easier because I think as an artist you tend to understand a lot of concepts that just transcend art form you know color mm -hmm. and tone a lot of things in classical music you train how to study chords and what the chord progressions mean and where is home and where is the climax of the song and why that works and so you come with all, all these ideas and then you just transpose them to, to a visual art form and you still have the same things if you want to shoot a fall winter campaign it's more bluish and contrasting and dark mm -hmm. you want to shoot something summer you know spring summer it, it's light and yellow and bright and and you know so so it's an easy transition um visually if you study that the mechanics of it from a from a mm -hmm. from a classical perspective that's that's fascinating i, I feel like <laughs> A thought came to my mind. I was like, maybe in this world there is another kid that was trained to become a photographer and, and went into singing <laughs> <laughs> and you did the opposite. So you guys reverse role in the universe. Um, Amen. But, <laughs> there you go. No, but it's it's so interesting to to hear because I think we're trained, you know, like to go towards a certain path. And if you train from very young, you actually never really ask yourself the question, is it what I want to do? And I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just like, you know, some people have to help you guide at the beginning, you know, but there is a point where you probably look around and you're like, mm, it looks like this, like feeds me more than, than doing that, you know, or it's, it's less, there's less friction. Yeah, and what you're saying about like falling in love with your art all the time really resonates And uh, it reminds me of a quote I heard recently was something around uh, uh, the secret to a good a marriage is to date your wife, you know. And I mm. think it's the same thing, you know, you just become comfortable in your own relationships also and you forget to go back or to actually reignite what you fell in love for. 
suddenly your camera is just here versus before it was like, oh my God, this thing is so exciting, you know? <laughs> yeah, and so. you said it right. And I think it also takes a lot of presence and you have to learn how to be present with your art form because at times you do it mechanically, you do it so much that it becomes mechanics. And mm -hmm. uh, I went through that, which I'll, as I'll get to a little bit later with levitation, but it's like, sometimes you do it so much that you're like, okay, uh, whatever, you know, or okay, it's what was next. And so it is constantly just being open-minded to say, hey, what are the possibilities and what can I really uh, challenge myself to do while I'm doing this art form and, and how can I grow from this and, and look at it as a, as you said it, as, as a growing, never comfortable uh, scenario in which you can just enjoy and bask in the unknown, you know? Yeah. And um, we're going to put a little uh, seed for the future here, but we'll talk about the angles and how you are actually doing mm -hmm. that own work of like trying to go back to the essence because obviously if you shoot a lot it becomes rep not repetitive but you fall into that uh, habit thing like you said you mm -hmm. know the the work part um I i'm curious however as to what aspects of music would you say would ha help you the most in the photography aspect so music is well the definite one of the definitions of music is it's organized sound, you know? So mm -hmm. if you were to take this note and this note and just disorganize them, they wouldn't sound as pretty, you know, or like this note, you know, or like you put yeah. them in different ways, it just sound like two different beeps or something. Um, and so I've always loved the structure of music and how it's poetically written uh, to take you on a journey. And, yeah. and that's exactly what I think I've tried to do with my work is to take you on a journey. And the reason why I talk about this in, in my classroom, but it's, the philosophy and the psychology behind levitation and why it's so powerful. It's because, you know, music, when you listen to it, or like sometimes you have a favorite song and you have this one particular bridge or this one particular like highlight of the song that you can sing over and over and over again, you know, you take all the song away, you have the climax of the song. And for me, for my viewers, a photographer, you have one chance, one image to show the spectator, the, the climax of the song, you know, the climax of the story. Mm -hmm. And why levitation works is because you're giving somebody the climax of the story without giving them the context of the story. So mm -hmm. they don't know what came before, what came after. And as a human, psychologically speaking, we're thrilled, like we're, we're always seeking information, you know, like from a survival mm -hmm. mechanism aspect, you seek all the information you can get so you can have the context as to how to move forward. But when you see an image without context, it, it, it fucks with you. It, it, it makes yeah. you wonder uh, what came before, what came after. And it makes you wonder, did the guy throw it from below? Did it throw it up? Did somebody have, you know, did he have somebody throw the shoe for him? Like, did somebody catch it? Is it a net? <laughs> um, you know, how did it fall? Did he scratch this? You know, did he break the, you know, the statue or whatever it is that's in the air? And so all these questions arise and you're actually, you're playing with people's emotions and you're actually giving them um, their own way of telling the story of an image yeah. you know so giving them a climax and then and then letting the spectator decide for themselves the before and after and i think that's that i learned that specifically from music you know the composition st structure and and the feeling of 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 we've arrived you know and that's exactly yeah. what i want to give my spectator when i when i you know when they see my work i love that and do you feel so i'm gonna poke you on this one you feel like we can give just the climax without the ramp up and the 
toning down behind i'm asking that in, in photography because i get i guess you can but I, i'm just wondering what do we do with the other parts because i feel like they're they're important too in their own ways well you make a reel right no okay <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> well no, you're, you're right you're right because it's it's like that's how i expressed it if you're listening is from the perspective of how we are looking at art nowadays which is very fast moving and usually on 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 devices which means you're gonna just look at that one photo or that quick clip yeah. i mean um, i have a lot to but say. if you were in a book or gallery you could build up i guess Yeah, but you see, I have, well, there's so much I can say about this because, well, in Gal what I hate is when you need context for an image. When you mm. look at an image and you're like, um, that's boring. And then somebody's like, well, no, it's because that's Picasso's <laughs> plate. And like he had thrown it in the floor like seconds before. You're like, oh, that's what makes it amazing. But I actually have, and I, I fight with a lot of artists about this, but I think a photo should be objectively good without any background or foreground. I think all of mm. those things are externalities that you add to the importance of a photo. But objectively, a photo should tell, you know, there's a saying, a photo should be a thousand words, then fucking add a thousand words in that one photo, because then it will be a thousand yeah. and one if you add more context to it. And that's cheating, True. because I can, you know, um, and that's cheating to me, you know, I, I and, and so, um, Anyway, I, I, I probably heard a lot of people's feelings and I do apologize, but I, that's, that, that's, you know, I'm, I'm speaking from the validity objectively of what a photo should be. Um, I want people yeah. to look at a photo and say, oh, that makes me feel good or that makes me feel something regardless of, mm -hmm. um, of external contexts. But, you know, just looking at a photo, whether it is Marilyn Monroe or just a random old lady sitting in a train station regardless of the of, of who the person is there i want them to feel the same way i want them to feel that power of the image that's what good photography is for me personally yeah i know i'll join you 100 on that one because it's not about how good it looks to you it's how does it make you feel you know yes. uh, because it's so easy to go rationalize out oh, the composition and the the aperture or whatever like your shutter speed was wrong it's a little blurry but how does it make you feel if, if you feel like sh interpelled or like if you look at an image or a piece of art and you it keeps you keep scratching your head i think it it's doing its job yes. you know yes if and even art that you might disagree in you know there's art that you're like what does that even course. mean but it gets you wondering and it's like you got to respect that <laughs> yeah absolutely anyone who triggers your emotions and with uh with something they create i think is is good uh art wise uh let's put it in that context but Okay, so we've got the climax. You use that, and that really like drives your your creations. And and I felt it even when we were shooting together in 2019 when we did the levitation photography video. It it was fun, and I felt like there was a, a subtlety to which shot you would think was right and what movement was right in the in the image, which most likely I would have been like, oh, this is cool, this is cool, but you had a specific eye towards certain things, so. We can put a link in the description to obviously some of that work and and I think you have a training on that coming up so we can put that if people want to discover more around it. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of understand how how you go from um, the beginning of, of that levitation photography and, and how do you integrate that throughout your work and are you able to 
this is a difficult question, but are you able to move away from it, not to be defined as just that one piece? And is there actually, is there anything wrong with being that, just that one guy? Um, I had an existential crisis during the pandemic. Um, hmm. Well, actually three, three that I remember. Uh, and they all had to do with my purpose as an artist and my, hmm. my growth as an artist and also the value of my art. And I don't mean it monetarily, but what it means to me and what it means to the people around me and the people that consume it, you know? Um, so I'm a commercial photographer by trade. And the reason I did that is because I was a young, broke college kid who, you know, ran away from two careers to pursue this photography thing. I had to pay the bills. And so strategically speaking, I decided to name myself a commercial photographer because I thought, well, you're going to get paid while doing what you like. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that, you know? And so I did, but what had happened was I discovered that I sold my artistry to commerciality. And what I meant by that mm. was I did levitation for all these brands uh, and I made it almost like, oh, like the coolest way to sell a product to people, you know, but I realized the levitation is so much more than that. And after spending so much time with myself during quarantine, I realized, wait, like I, I, I can see so much more depth into levitation photography, especially the fact that it's done without Photoshop, especially the fact that it's done without like, without like burst mode, it's all done in one take. And, um, and so all these beautiful techniques that I've developed, uh, I, I, were just used to sell shoes to, you know, kids. And, and, and I didn't want to be that dude. I didn't want to be that guy. And so, yeah. and I've also realized that, you know, a lot of the times my competitiveness and what drove me uh, to create levitation photography without Photoshop was was always a challenge to myself. How, do, how can I create surrealism within reality? How can I create something that people think it's fake in real life? I've always loved mm -hmm. that challenge. And so that was the main point of levitation photography. That was the main point to show to everybody, hey, look, you can do something that looks hella Photoshop, but it's not. And so taking that ownership back away from, hey, this is just a technique used to sell products um, was very empowering and was also very scary because mm -hmm. I was that guy that it was like, People will hire me just to do these levitation images. Um, and I realized that I'm much more than that as well. You know, we as artists, I think, I mean, we as humans in general, we're not the bright, most brightest, you know, we're not the brightest creatures. And I think we, we're pretty square when it comes to defining um, another person. If like, let's say if Pierre, you decide to edit all your pictures with a super, super, super blue tone for the next two years. Well, guess what? You're the blue tone guy now. And like, I don't think that's fair, Pierre, because, you know, that can be a, a part of your growth, but that can also, you know, that Da Vinci had a, a blue period. He painted a lot of his yeah. things blue, but you don't know Da Vinci is like, oh, he's the guy that paints those blue um, uh, paintings. No, you know, Da Vinci for all the extensive work he did, when it, whether it was drawing, whether it was painting, whether it was sculptures, you know, and and I think that we need to look at our at our artistry in the same way we're so much more than what society or the or the industry defines mm. us i used to be the guy that promoted niches because i had a niche you know yeah. but i realized a niche is only good up until you realize you're stuck in that niche and and you realize you get you can't do anything else because it, it falls away from that niche and that's that's a jail in itself and so and so what i recommend artists is to always once again coming back to the beginning of this conversation um always look at your art as a way to explore yourself and to grow from it. Like, yes, you can have a series. Like I had, you know, a good 
six to 10 years worth of levitation run, but like, I think I can do so much more. And so that's mm-hmm. where I'm at right now. Um, you know, it's, it's art is, art is should, should constantly be evolving and you should constantly be evolving with your art. And I think that's where the true meat of, of being an artist comes from. Yeah, I, I can only join you on that one. Um, there is something that I keep reminding myself of and that I remind a lot of people is that uh, the scientist that discovered a bunch of things, Da Vinci, like you mentioned, was multifaceted. Uh, a lot of the philosophy we we think about, also even Seneca and stuff, they were also mathematicians. They were also... Um, in a way, doctors, they were studying the, the stars. They were, they were basically very, very rounded persons. They, they, were not like, they were not like a sharp tool. They were more like a very wide tool that, that tries to look at different things, different ways, and, uh, and get curious about the whole world and not just that one aspect that you might think, oh, this is the, the, the X guy, you know, and he does only that, that X, Y, Z thing. And I, I feel like... Uh, I had a campaign that that came to me, and they asked me to make a an ad about about myself, about my personal brand. I could not do it. I still can't do it because I'm like, <laughs> how am I supposed to encompass my personality in 30 seconds? So I managed to change the the campaign, and it's it's going to be about my training, so which is a lot easier. But about myself, I was so lost. I even like had two hour brainstorm with my wife and with another friend also, and I was like sorry like there's so much i'm interested in i don't i don't even know how how to make it like fit anything i because i don't want to be just that one guy that oh here's a video that shows what he does you know well no there's more you know and that's like, the pure oh, dna <laughs> you know yes yeah. that's the pure dna it's it's it, it shouldn't fit in 30 seconds if it fits in 30 seconds you're too branded you're too square you're only going to be that person and you don't want to do that you know uh, yeah. We're in the era of like niches, like the you know the girl who wears a red scarf or the person, and it's like, I think we're much more complex than that, you know. And yeah. and I'm so happy that you're understanding how the complexity of 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 who you are and owning it, and that's the hardest thing for for, for us as creatives to do. And I think it's a privilege to do because you and I can afford to do some, something like that. Yes. You know, a lot of creatives at the same time are spreading themselves too thin, trying to do everything or like trying to get on the next. Um, uh, hype train or trying to you know like do whatever is cool in the market right now and so there is that slight balance in the middle where you have to say okay what is viable to the consumer like to, to my clients what can they come in and constantly hire me for because I, they know i'm good but at the same time not having that niche solely be um you know having that niche define you because you're so much yeah. more than that once again. So it's all and about that And at the end balance. of the day, we do, we do it for ourselves. We don't do it for the rest, right? Um, that's something I remind a lot of photography students also. I'm like, it doesn't matter if I like your art. <laughs> it doesn't matter if your neighbor or a thousand people like it. Like, do you like it? Is it oversaturated and way too much clarity for my taste? Yes, but you love it. Look, you're super excited about it. <laughs> what am I going to tell you? <laughs> Keep doing mm-hmm. what you're doing, you know, like have fun and, uh, and, yes. and go for it. it I, I can't tell you how to live your own life. You know, you got to be in love with, with yourself and what you create. So that's the most important, I feel. How yes. does the... Um, let, let's segue to those angles. Like, I'm super excited <laughs> to dive into that because uh, Eric was like, 
shooting with like funny angles when I was in New York and I was like what what is that? what are you doing what's happening and then you were writing a few like captions on Instagram about uh how you're exploring actually different compositions or what does it mean can you yeah let's let's go let's let's dive into it what's what's happening what what the heck mm. is out doing so this? so my second my second existential crisis told me that I I was I was tired of just being the levitation guy because I, I I needed to do something else that challenged me, and so I took it back to my roots, which is street photography. You know, so mm -hmm. I went back into the streets with a 90 millimeter and a 70 to 200, and I looked up at the sky, and I noticed that when I looked up at these textures and and elements and lines and and shapes and contrasts and shadows, um that I had, you know, thanks to like shooting commercial for so long, commercial photography is very mathematical. Like things need to be in the center or like very rule of thirds, like very perfectly lit, perfectly background, like everything needs to be perfect. So, so commercial photography is very, um, you know, they're trying to sell you something. They're trying to sell you the best version of life as life can be perhaps. And so I essentially, you know, internalized all of that. So all those mathematics, all those rule of thirds and Fibonacci sequence that I learned in commercial, I brought them back to, to, um, to the streets. And this time I started to know it is that, um, well, what is reality really, but a perception uh, from your perspective, you know, and as humans, mm -hmm. we're, we have two feet on the ground. And that means that whenever we see up, we see the same up, but I mean, you know, we're, we're basing our reality based on gravity and gravity is mm -hmm. just one element of reality and reality is so much complex in that and so i try to challenge myself with these angles using these mathematical things that i learned in, in in commercial photography to try to redefine how we see cities around us essentially how we see textures around us and um and how we feel uh seeing these textures and cities being presented in a different way and mm -hmm. by flipping these angles if you feel something they um I am by definition proving to you that these angles have some sort of emotion, these little twists and turns and balances of lines and triangles and shapes and shadows make you feel something. And if I compose them the correct way, I'm maximizing a feeling from a perspective that you couldn't see before because you were too stuck in your own ways. You were too stuck in what people think is right. You know? Mm. So these angles were a testament to, 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 to the objective truth in which Anybody, anything can work. You know, I sit down sometimes in front of a couple of buildings and I shoot 15 different angles from the same perspective of the same building constructions. You know, all you yeah. have to do is find the shapes and the elements that go together in a very, uh, in a very communicative format that eventually lead to you feeling a certain way. And so that yeah. made me realize a couple of things. First of all, I'm going back to, you know, what I told you was like, It's like subject shouldn't matter. Like the picture, a good picture should be a good picture and a good picture should make mm -hmm. you feel something. And so what I'm trying to prove to the audience this time around is, look, I'm about to shoot two different walls from a random building that you probably walked through it time and time again. And you're like, whatever, those are two buildings, but I'm going to make you feel something by changing the angles for you. And if you mm -hmm. feel something, then, you know, what I'm telling you is right. It's an objectively regular photo, but I'm doing it in such a way that it makes you feel something. And to be honest with you, I call this angle study. I mean, I call this this project angle studies because there are studies. Like I see some, mm -hmm. I, I must say, like some of them 
I do, you know, I do look at fine art. Um, I do look at them as like something poetic and something that says something, but a lot of them are just studies. Like, I like, look people here are some random walls that I'm sure y'all walked by because it's in 42nd street, but you've never seen them this way. Have you? And it's like, it, it catches people by surprise. And that's what I want to do. I want to catch people by surprise and show them that reality can be perceived from many different angles. Hmm. I love, I love that. Especially the last part, reality can be perceived from different angles. Um, and, and I feel like it also defines your experience, right? Hmm. Um, how you navigate through, through life in a way, like, Amen. Hmm. And as you, you said, notice it, the light around you. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it. I think we we learn to appreciate a lot of the goodness around us once it's taken away from us. Uh, once mm. again, we're very flawed in animals, but once again, it is you know these angles are also bringing in um, just presence into the equation. Like, hey, like sit down and look at that library in front of you that you always walk by every time like you walk from A to B and you never really looked at it the way that it should be looked at, you know, hmm. or like you always looked at it the same way in the same way, technically, you know, it's not the wrong way, but it's just one way. And yeah. uh, if you look at it, maybe in three different ways, you might discover something else, you know? Yeah. I think, I think, that, I think you hit the, the nail on the head here. It's not wrong. It's just, that's only one. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, that's why I love, I mean, when I was in New York, etc., or even in Paris, what I love sometimes is just looking at tourists. What is catching their eye? Because oh. I'm, my eyes get used to some stuff, you know, and then you see another photographer who's never been to Paris or a tourist and, and you're like, oh, is that interesting to you? <laughs> let, let me try to see why. What, and, what's, and don't they shoot the city a different way, you know? And like they 100%. can be the same in the same place that you normally shoot. And then they come in and shoot something a different way. And you're like, whoa, I never saw it that way. And like, that's so interesting. That's what art is such a powerful tool to communicate, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 weird. I love it. It's um, Well, that's even happened to me on the Brooklyn Bridge, like at sunrise when I was in New York last time. I was like, I never realized that the Manhattan Bridge was like poking between those buildings, you know, and, and with the right angle, with the right light, just looked epic. And I was like, oh, I, and I and I biked so many times over that bridge, you know, wow. which apparently you are not supposed to do anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, not on the walking at the top of running. I don't know. Some guy was like screaming really loud at the biker. Well, welcome to New York. Everybody's screaming at each other lately. <laughs> How did the... Yeah, let's let's dive into the, the COVID world and um, what did it change or how did, how did you navigate that space? Because New it, York sounded uh, like the epicenter of the end of the world for a while. It was transforming to say the least. Um I mean, I came out of it a completely different person. Um, I'm, I was a workaholic before that. I think I'm still a little bit of workaholic now, to be honest <laughs> with you, but not as much, you know. Um, but I, I learned to take my time. I learned to uh, let go of perfectionism. I was such a perfectionist. And we just had a slight conversation a little bit before we started recording this. And you said, you said a quote, a quotable moment. You said, uh, perfectionism is... Uh, he said it was perfectionism oh. is um, 
uh, the key to laziness or something like, or they make it makes you lazy or something. It's a good excuse. To no, make it's you lazy. A, oh, uh, I remember. It's it's the best excuse for procrastination. Oh, procrastination, dude. And like Pro, that's exactly yeah, it's how procrastination's I best tool. I think. That's, oh that's man, you it it that rung so true, you know, to me. And I realized that, for example, I never wanted to start a YouTube channel because like I didn't have the correct lights and the correct backgrounds, the correct setup. Like I didn't want to start, you know, this and that because I, you know, editorial because I was so scared of this, I was so scared of that. And it's like, dude, like you're holding yourself to all these standards that don't fucking matter, you know, that don't matter. Mm -hmm. So, so um, le letting go of all these preconceived notions of like what life should be uh, was a big thing to me. And then another thing is, you know, as, as I said, it's just letting go of like those niches that that make you comfortable. You know, yeah. I found this niche. I was, I, you know, I did my thing in it, and I guess I've, I've built some sort of. Um, uh, I would say reputation through this thing, but it, that's just, that's just not me. And I felt so jailed by one aspect, like levitation to me is only 10% of what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And so learning that there's another 90, 99% of the world that like, I still haven't discovered through doing video, through doing YouTube, through doing like, um, you know, more, more extracurricular activities that have nothing to do with photography. Um, I think that's where that's where life is. That's where the sauce is. The, the, the you know that's where discovery is. And and I was missing um, that for so long. So coming back to that was was imperative through, through this COVID transition. Was it the was it a break that made you get there, or because I, I don't know how was the situation? Tell us a little bit for anyone who doesn't know what the situation was like in New York. What what forced um, you there? Well, New York itself just closed down and I felt very jailed in my home. And first of all, I started realizing as a, as somebody who gets older you know, every year, um, you start missing nature and you start missing the simple things in life, like seeing your friends and family, uh, all birthdays were, you know, through zoom, it's just not the same. Uh, and so it humbles you down, you know, coming back to appreciating the little things, appreciating the moments. It made me realize like, dude, how many moments are you not appreciating? Like here you are trying to chase the dream or try to chase more clients or try to like get this next big gig. And it's like, wait, hold on. Like, what are you doing it all for? Are you really happy? Because you don't seem happy. You haven't been happy. What makes you happy? You know, maybe taking yeah. more time for yourself is going to make you happy. And you know what? I think it has. I think I'm, I'm happier now than I've been in the last three years. And I've also much more uh, aware and open-minded Uh, toward the possibilities of life now more than ever before. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, it's um, I felt like drive is a strange, um, it's a double-edged word in a way you're like, yeah, I want to progress, I want to do this, it's, it's great. But then you ask yourself why, and I think deep down we do have that idea of it's going to make a my life better, make me feel different, or, you know, or like bring me closer to... I don't know some some goal of achieving something which for many um and i've been there too it's more like once i have that i'll feel safe and happy you know mm -hmm. but you, but you nothing don't. prevents <laughs> you from, mm -hmm. yeah exactly it's like nothing prevents you from doing that right now you know there's this great story about um i i, I wish i remember where i heard it first but of that fisherman And uh, I think he's like on, on the beach in Mexico or like in a warm country. There's this businessman from New York who arrives and he's like, sees this guy come back with like one tuna or one big fish. He's like, wow, amigo, you, you got a lot of fish here or a big fish. It's great. You know, if you want, you can 
go back and uh well, and and you can catch more fish and then you can make a little money and and the guy's like oh cool for for what you know he's like well then after once you make a little more money you can hire someone else and he goes fishing and and next thing you know you can hire more people and and you know you can build a, a business around it and he's like okay and and then what do i do and then the guy's like well then you you instead of going fishing suddenly you manage this operation and all those people and you make a lot of money and it's it's great you can buy those things you can you can buy a house etc and the guy's like okay and and then what happens and then he's like well and then when you're older you have all this money you have this land you have this house and then you can you can re you can retire and go fishing and spend time with your family <laughs> and the guy looks at him he's like but that's what i'm doing already <laughs> <laughs> amen i i think you told me that quote last time as well and and it's so true you know it's like it's 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 um especially in america i think we live in a very consumeristic society and a very mm -hmm. like goal-oriented society nothing is ever enough and i mean you need to look at the propaganda deep in, inside of that why isn't it not enough because you need more things because people need to sell more things to you you know and uh Uh, that's, that's, that's part of like, you know, one of those existential crises I had during COVID as well, realizing, dude, like, I don't want to sell, like, here I am trying to work against the man while working for the man. How does that even work? You know, here I'm trying to be, you know, my own business and like trying to like live my own truth uh, while I'm like, you know, stuck selling, you know, commercial campaigns full time. And it's just like, it didn't feel, it didn't feel right, dude. <laughs> this, this must be I mean, I can only imagine, but it, it gets a little, you tap into an area where most of us won't go because it gets very uncomfortable. How did you navigate through it or what did you have something that brought you clarity or helped you along the way? Well, I think meditate, my girlfriend and I started meditating and, and cooking a lot during uh, the quarantine. I think those two mm -hmm. were the, the beginning of, of me learning about like, hey, extracurricular activities that actually make me feel damn good, let's go, you know. Uh, but I think lately I, I have been uh, microdosing, if that's okay to say in the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, my, microdosing on, on shrooms, and, and that's been transformative. You know, it, it opens up, I think, the, the neuron pathways that, you know, talking about you see life in just one way, I think uh, microdosing helps you see life in more than one way. And it shows you yeah. the options of, of what life can truly be and the options of what the possibilities uh, can, can be if you just decided to just take more ownership of everything around you. You know, and I wanted to take more ownership. I feel like I trying to escape something, got myself in another jail. And I realized yeah. I don't want to go from jail to jail. I just want to be me. I want to be I want to do what I like. I want to show people that they can do it, too. I want to liberate my soul and in return liberate all my spectators uh you know when who, when they when they see my work it's more than just selling sneakers now it's now that now i want to give them the truth you know i want to give them mm. everything i've got as an artist truly Th that makes sense i love the I, lo i love the tools you mentioned uh the meditation part i'm a big believer because yeah i've been doing it i think i started when i was in new york in 2016 a little bit before 2014 through Wim Hof and different things, but really I got interested in different aspects back in New York. New York's such an interesting place, by the way. Mm. It's like <laughs> it's like where everything happens, right? It's like you have you have Wall Street with uh, people that kind of rule a certain part of the world, 
and then you have artists who are trying to break from that part yet they're in the same environment <laughs> and then you have a few lost souls in the middle and then <laughs> you have people who are fully let's call them enlightened or like content with being in the midst of it and it's just fascinating place um and cooking cooking is a uh, gives you appreciation for what you're eating <laughs> dude amen I'm, i'm the chopper at home so i chop and my girlfriend directs it she's a creative director uh but i, I loved working under her you know like that was so humbling and it was like eric like now it's time to chop the veggie and now you're gonna do this and it's like let's go babe like you do the thing and i <laughs> and i help and you know but it it's that essence of like home home has become something very important yeah and uh and the act of doing nothing if you're enjoying it you're doing something you know yeah. and, and i think we forget about that in america once again a consumeristic society what are you doing to get your career up? what are you doing to get it's like too much and it's like maybe you're doing something that can actually help you and you're going to come out more reflective and more positive and, and and more tranquil towards life and you're going to be able to approach these things such as work and and business and whatever in a much more comfortable passive and, and actually more secure way you know so yeah so so it sounds like those like actually those difficult moments actually have a lot to teach us if we don't turn away from them i think the only way to learn it to learn is to go through difficulty i mean if you look at yeah. nature in order for a tree to grow it needs to fight through the ground you know anything yeah. anything that grows needs to fight through this uncomfortability of pushing stretching bending you know but i think it's that and and we need to normalize that for so long uh our survivalistic instincts uh have pushed us away from that because you know we want to feel safe but what is safe really but uh you know settling down which is okay you can be you can feel safe but but um you know if you if you really want the most out of life get uncomfortable and make uncomfortability be a goal yeah Yeah, it's uh it's a fine balance. I love I love going there. It's it's always that fine balance between and for a lot of people it's like I don't want to feel that way, but there's so much to be learned that after you've experienced a few times how much you can learn from those. It's like, oh, I look forward to this. You know? Yeah. I used to be state frightened in a way or like you know when you have butterflies before you go speak. Yeah. or or like you feel it like really heavily when you're a kid or you have to to do a recital or you have like end of the year like um show or whatever you're like oh my god but at the time you almost fear it but now it's almost like now every time i have this come up i'm like oh this is a good sign something exciting is coming oh, up you know nice it's like something <laughs> that is not as usual is happening like what does it have to show me like let, let's go you know wow. like and accept it it's not like oh no i don't want to feel that well, how, how do i suppress it should i take a anxiolytic or like some medicine medical uh how do you call that like drugs or whatever yeah. to, to tone it down <laughs> no 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 just let it let it run its course let look it at it yeah and, that, and yeah. that's part of maturity you know i in fact you know what i discovered recently so I came, so 29 years and 10 years pretty much after I quit singing full-time. So I still sing at a church every Sunday for the last 10 years mm -hmm. since high school. Um, so they had a concert recently. And I I realized that I, you know, I've, I've always feared singing in front of people. And I realized that I wasn't also meant to be an opera singer simply because as a singer, as a performer, you need to have two skills, singing and performing. 
You don't need to have the best voice, but if you perform and own that stage, people would feel it. You know, you're delivering yeah. this piece. Um, and you can have all the, the best voice in the world, but if you don't know how to perform, you're going to go crack on stage or forget the words and whatever. And honestly, yeah. like, um, I feel like the later part, part of my life, I realized that I, I, I mean, I haven't performed in, you know, often, but I realized that performing was one of my weaknesses and also learning to accept where you fall short is a big part yeah. of my growth, you know? And, and I realized, you know, Eric, that's a big, like, that's a big part of why you didn't decide to do opera. Cause I spoke to a, a, an opera friend of mine and she recently went through a hard time and she said, you know what, Eric, like I went through this hard time and all I can think about was singing. And I saw her the next day after she had this, like, you know, really, really, um, crazy, crazy evening the night before. And she, she was singing a concert and she killed it. She did her thing. Mm. I felt her soul through that mic. And it was so interesting because then you realize, you know, a lot of us are hardwired to do something and it's finding out yeah. what calls you. So when you're like in despair and when there's nothing going for you, what is it that's keeping that light at the end of the tunnel um, lit up for you? You know, and yeah. for me, I found it that, that photography and, and I also do, you know, I also like um, just community building, but like helping yeah. people. And like, I love that. So like whenever I get in this difficult scenarios, learning like, oh, my God, where does my heart go immediately? Oh, trying to help somebody or like, oh, like trying to do photography or like challenge myself, you know, through these. So it's discovering these aspects um, that, that lead you to the light in the tunnel, you know, but but it's interesting, as you said, uh, it's it's. There's so much growth that can come out of these art. So I think I went on a tangent and now I'm on a different topic, but that's the way life is. I no, guess. it's okay. We can go on <laughs> 60 tangent. This is just like our life path isn't linear, right? Oh, amen. <laughs> conversations are never, which kind of is frustrating for my wife sometimes. She's like, how did you guys go <laughs> on, on six topics within five <laughs> minutes? <laughs> and then you're coming back to it like 30 minutes later what <laughs> uh i'm one of those two i'm happy that i don't feel alone <laughs> i know it's great i love it i actually love it if you guys are still following that's beautiful um i'll, I'll i pin down what you mentioned with the the microdosing part and uh for anyone listening who's interested i will get someone on the podcast around this around the use of psychedelics and creativity and how it's being used, uh, it has been used because it's nothing new. It has been used for many thousands of years. And, uh, and also what studies were made in the 70s and what's the status today. Because I feel like it's come up basically more mainstream right now. And it's something I discovered, uh, I would say, in my recent years. And uh, it's a fascinating topic. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll dig into that one, Eric. Uh, I'll let you know when it's out. I'm sure you you'd be Hopefully interested in that. I'm one. highly interested. I'm 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 still new to the subject, um, but I can appreciate any form of extra education. You've already sent me a couple of playlists. Uh, maybe you can tag the playlist that you sent me on your other podcast because Pierre knows yeah. what's up, guys. <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm just again. I'm very <laughs> curious human being. <laughs> and what that means is that anything that grabs my attention for a little bit is going to be, I'm going down the rabbit hole on a lot of things. I'm like, oh, interesting. Um, and there's a lot to be learned from uh, plants and fungi from our friends around and animals. Oh, what, watch, so. watch the show Fantastic Fungi on Netflix. I oh. think you and I had this conversation last time. Must Ooh, watch yes. Fantastic Fungi on Netflix. Watch it today it's whether you're creative or not it's oh my god the visuals 
are insane. Yeah. All the time lapses. So I want to bring on the director, Louis Schwartz, actually, who, who directed and, and shot all those time lapses and directed the, the documentary. So I want to try to bring him on the, the podcast. It should be interesting. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, honestly, right now, just, just pause whatever you're doing, write it down. Fantastic fungi. We'll link it in the show notes. Uh, you're going to have a blast and, and, I don't know, take a glass of red wine or, or chill with, with your wife and just look at it on a big screen. It's the magic, the magic of life just like comes through, uh, through it because we were not able to see time lapses with our eyes, right? Mm. Like if you looked at that plant, you don't, you think nothing happens, right? But then if you look at it through a time lapse of several days, you're like, oh my God, the thing is dancing. It's alive. It's, it's doing yeah. so many things. Yeah. All right, let's let's dive into the uh, completely 180. Uh, I want to hear a little bit about how you've seen the NFT space and what does it mean for for us as creatives and also for everyone else. Like, do you? Th yeah, tell me. It's it's unbelievable, man. I mean. First and foremost, I mean, it's a highly volatile ground right now. It's a wild, mm -hmm. wild west of, of this century, perhaps, you know, and, and uh, this decade. And uh, what I'm much more excited than, you know, little JPEGs, although, I, you know, there's a lot of art that is beautiful. Um, it's, it's the technology behind that, the smart contract aspect, the fact that we're essentially democratizing the economic side of creativity And it's mm -hmm. favoring now the, the artists, the people that have been putting in the work for the last, you know, three, four centuries or something, you know, for so long, I think the artistic, uh, the economic side of the, of being an artist has always been regarded as like, we're, we're at the bottom of the totem pole, you know, we're, we're the least mm -hmm. important, you don't really have any value, but now more and more, we're understanding the validity and the usefulness of art and the power of ourselves in this economic market. Uh, if you look at the big companies uh, like Apple or, you know, the, any, any big fashion brand, they wouldn't be the brands they are today without great marketing, great storytellers, great illustrators, great designers, great photographers, great uh, animators. And, and, and these are the people that sell the vision forward. We are communicators mm -hmm. by design. And so the way that I see NFT and the NFT spaces, it's a way to essentially give equity back to these creatives who at times get undersold or underpaid. Uh, I, so I, I, I've done a lot of agency work before and, and I'm uh, within common, um, my, my second agency, we're trying to redefine how creatives and brands work. And so mm -hmm. the biggest thing for me has been the fact that, you know, we, we, we go and we, uh, we have collaborated with some of the world's biggest creatives and when you look into their pricing structure you realize holy oh my god like dude are you really charging that much for all this work like you're getting so underpaid i've seen companies charge you know big agencies charge companies three hundred thousand dollars for like a video and then you know they pay the crew like 50k and they just made 250k off this video mm. and it's like unbelievable where does the money go it goes to the middleman it goes to people that you know like have high level ideas, but don't really execute. And so what yeah. we're seeing right now is a democratization of artists getting what they deserve and actually people supporting the artists that make it happen. So the way I see it is in the future, uh, even through agency or, or creative work, working for big companies, you're not, 
you know, you, you're what we're talking about is smart contracts that will essentially bypass the middleman. So instead of you as an artist getting 80%, maybe now you might be looking at 90, you might be looking at 95. And if you're really good, you might get the whole pie if you know how to build a structure around you. And so these systems that have been for so long um, within these bigger structures as a corporation or as a, you know, as a big agency or as a big um, music label have now been democratized in smart contracts so that we as creatives are able to use them and forget about it. Because if somebody uses our NFT or buys our NFT or sells our NFT, we're getting some equity back. We're getting 5% back okay. forever. And so the, to, to me, that's just transformative. And uh, I'm super excited for the space. Yeah, I'm, I'm equally interested to see how it's going to evolve. I, I ran my own experiment uh, with NFT where I was just having fun with a project that was dear to my heart. Um, by now, I've actually resent the money to all the collectors, uh, the Ethereum, because I decided to stop, stop it. And I, I'm like, cool, you collected it, you keep it, here's your money. The rest of the project disappears. This is unique. There's only like six pieces that will ever exist in this space. The rest has been destroyed. Um, it's pretty cool though. But that builds volume and hype. So congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. But the the I mean, I just love the message that was behind it. But I keep asking myself the question, which is simply, and it's impossible to predict what will happen, right? But where does the space go? Because part of me is a little afraid, not afraid, but like looking at it from the lens where, okay, we used to have gatekeepers in galleries uh, and that model came up because it was a lot of volumes and people wanted curation, right? And so people who wanted to invest didn't want to have to go through every single artist that, that is selling something in the street. So they are like, okay, those people, I'm going to give them money and they're going to find the people that I th they think is, is worth something. And I can't help but think in a way, as much as we're democratizing, we will, I feel like we will come back somehow to a model where there's some bigger gatekeepers. And I know uh, the message in that community is all about like, no, it's decentralized, it's blah, blah, blah. But if if you're no one and you're, you're, you're putting an NFT tomorrow, you still won't get discovered unless you're doing marketing. It doesn't matter. You know, you still have to do that marketing aspect and you still have to build your brand in a way where or, or mingle with the right communities, with the right people to get to people who want to collect actually. So what is really different about the space according to you? I mean, that's a very good point, you know, but I think as an entrepreneur and I think all creatives who are making money out of their art or their service are entrepreneurs. So you should look at mm -hmm. yourself as an entrepreneur. And so an entrepreneur oh, owns a company and a company needs to do their marketing, whether you like it or not, a company needs to be out there. A company needs to do partnerships. A company needs to do branding positioning. And so that's just another thing that we need to add as, as creatives. The beautiful thing is now uh, art has become more collaborative. So I've seen a lot of mm -hmm. artists, like musicians with digital, like 3D animators and photographers, they all partner in one project, which is so beautiful, you know? Yeah. So, so that is opening up the possibilities for, so art in itself to me, honestly, is flourishing. And now it like, like the sky is the limit. You're adding some of the world's best 4D animators that have worked at all these, the top agencies or the top, um, you know, brands in the world now coming along and like just doing 4D animations with like some of the world's 
best best photographers or like best music musicians so it's mm-hmm. like a lot of great renaissance like um art is about to be put out so that's beautiful um i also think what's you know you're talking about communities but also this is what i like about it because the way i see it is imagine if we had nfts back in the 70s or, or 80s with uh mm-hmm. with the the great warhols and and uh basquiat of the world right what you're essentially doing is so Basquiat was essentially a lot of his work was owned through a gallery. So the gallery mm-hmm. took a lot of the take, you know. So what you're essentially doing is you're not going to the gallery, you're going directly to Basquiat and saying, Hey, if I purchase this painting for ten thousand dollars, here it is. You I get your painting and now I have a digital license thing. So that means that every time I sell it, you, Mr. Basquiat, are gonna be rich with me. So it is to my um, you know, uh I would say to to both of our our uh, our um, pleasure to to keep uh, supporting each other and like it kind of builds mm-hmm. this like well you bought a piece from me so like like if you really like my art you're gonna keep supporting me or you're gonna talk to your friends about me and uh, and in return I'm gonna do more art and better art so then like you know the price of the art that you have will go up in price so I think it's democratizing what Sotheby's has been doing forever. And it's bringing mm-hmm. back more of that money that Sotheby's tends to keep <laughs> or, the, or the collector t- that flips it tends to keep and giving some of that money back to the creative, which in turn fuels a creative to focus on doing art and not selling themselves on doing, you know, uh, brand work to pay the rent. And so that, yeah. that, that leverage, I don't think we've ever had that leverage in ever. And so that's transformative. The fact that we don't have to sell out as artists uh gives us a lot of leverage for us to fight back and say you know what i don't need to work this shitty project or tend to be we tend to be undervalued because brands know hey here's a big logo so work super cheaply on it so that then you can probably get better clients thanks to you working with us for this super little price you know and that that, i think that's that's slavery man that's so unfair (laughs) <laughs> it's unfair when you're not at the beginning anymore <laughs> but when you're already creating good stuff it's <laughs> it's totally unfair you're like uh no that's not that's not right i think i know my i know my art i know my value nope no, but how you. wonderful would it be if a, a big brand calls up a young artist and instead of pitching them hey here's a pair of shoes they actually give them what's standard for an artist otherwise if they don't pay that they can't work with an artist. I mean, obviously, I, I think this might be too generalized and, and I don't think we might get there, at least in my lifetime. But I wish I can see some more of that respect and equivalence when you treat artists, you know, because once again, artists are very important to the nature of marketing, to the nature of, of telling a story. And finally, now we're learning how to value our price and our value our 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 place in this market correctly. Yeah, I think I think uh, it definitely teaches a lot of people uh, the value that people perceive as to art is not what necessarily is, which is beautiful because when you look at the pricing on on NFTs and stuff, and yes, there might be a bubble, and yes, ninety percent or ninety nine percent might go to zero, but it still shows you that if enough people decide that this is valuable, it will be. And I'll just add to where, like, in a way, we're all building this metaverse or like this parallel universe digitally and artists will are the one building it right in a way it's you have the engineers also but visually who who's going to be there you know who's going to create those things that you see and that you experience and i think that's 
it's almost like you could be creating a new earth in a way and as an artist you have a take in what it's going to look like so could be an interesting space for sure how are you getting involved personally on it yeah man so i have my first nft collection dropping this december 4th uh it's going to be mm. 50 pieces uh 10 of them are going to be like high profile campaign stuff that i've done or like high profile artists like the jabberwockies or like steve aoki or something levitating something and then the other 40 pieces are going to be uh they're going to be divided like 10 or 15 from one part of levitation 10 or 15 from another part of levitation so there are four techniques that you know that, that, that i've developed the first was just like people levitating which was the easiest then yeah. another one um with with you know you know matthew forge but like dancers levitating so that one is a lot more playing with angles and switching reality uh which is a little bit more complex than i also have i've been shooting must have shot at least seventy thousand pairs of shoes in my career so it's like I have a bunch of like shoes that have never been released, you know, like sh or, like shoe photography that has never been released or a lot of mm -hmm. shoe stuff that never really made it into the commercial stuff, but I still really like. And so um, each one of those are going to come. So the 40, uh, you know, uh, regular priced uh, photos will be uh, NFTs will be coming with a hand uh photo signed one of one. Mm -hmm. And then my, my next 10 ones will be um, coming with a, with a, with a metal print signed one of one uh but that's another thing it's like you know with nfts you get to add more value more than the jpeg because a lot of people are like well do you just show it up on your phone and like that's all you get or like show it off on your computer like no a lot of it's such a new venture so we can add and do whatever we want with this transaction people who invest in us we get to say how what and how we give them things so for example i'm going to release a class later this year as well and levitation so i'm planning on the people that buy the the high-end nfts will also get uh you know first dipped into my class and maybe i have a bunch of like presets coming out too so they might get the presets as well so like i get to give so much and i get to mm -hmm. also you know get support so much so it's it's a win-win trans transaction for both my collectors and myself so that's that's something so beautiful about nfts you know that's that's true, and I actually see it with the with the fact that I want to send the ETH back to to people who who got it, and I want them to keep it, and I can change, which is something if I had put it in a gallery, if it was with a third party or whatever, I wouldn't have that control. I wouldn't know who really got it. I wouldn't be able to tell some agency or whatever, hey, we're just gonna like send everything back to people because I want to thank them, you know, for. I'm actually super grateful for them even considering investing, which is not a small amount, you know, into my art, into what I created, especially because it's been very different from what I put out there for the rest of those years for what people know me for. And that's where you see that community you're talking about, where you can create a community with your collectors, you can send them whatever you want in a way. And I get, I get to do that, which I would have never imagined with anything else, you know, like even if you were to ship a print, yeah, I could refund you, but it doesn't have the same aspect as uh, you're you're part of this community because I kind of see you live in that virtual space versus I ship you a print, I have no clue whatever happened to your print, you know? Yeah, yeah, there, there's such now, a connection. Yeah, now you can see it in real life. You can, I mean, in, in digital real life and it's validated that this is a piece that was owned by XYZ. And someone asked me actually that could be interesting for you too the other day. They're like, hey, do you still do you sign your prints and stuff? 
I'm like, oh, I still haven't found a good way to make it look good and for me to print <laughs> because my signature is like kind of trash and uh, and I, I haven't found a way. So a lot of uh, fine art things, they do give certificates. But I'm like, you don't need certificates anymore. You just give an NFT <laughs> if that person, there you go. That's your certificate of authenticity. You have that one of one NFT with the one of one print or one of 10, you know? And if you have both that and you can show that you have the NFT, then that's that's your proof right there that that you're the original owner. Um, and I was like, oh, that's completely shift, you know, T totally awesome. I, I love how how it's going. There's so many use cases. Like, for, yeah. I, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep when I when I started brainstorming more. Oh that. man, it's once once you see the once you see the light, it's very hard for you to look at life the same way again. Um, another use case is a lot of um, musicians. You know, the, uh, one of my 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 friends, Ali China, just released his album, and he made a lot of money, but also like he gave a lot. And he gave like mm -hmm. a 4D animation of like, his studio, so like you're able to like put it in your phone, and like you're actually walking through his studio. And then you know, like everybody has access to like all the people that bought it have access to his album. He got pretty much royalty of that album. And if they sell it, he will forever have royalty off that album. And that's like such a powerful thing. Like you completely just overrode the record, a record label, a record deal in which they give you money, which you have to pay back, you know, and uh, and then they take like 80% or something of everything else you ever make in your whole life. And the fact that he gets to take all of it, I mean, that to me is just a win-win, you know, and he gets to package Ooh. it the way he wants to. So it's it's just remarkable. So, sorry, it just struck something. Ima okay, imagine, <laughs> everyone, here's a billion dollar idea. You know Spotify, right? Decentralizing yeah. all their tracks and everything and licensing. Now imagine everyone's like kind of their own licensor and decentralized. But with Web 3.0, anyone can connect their wallets, right? So you have a platform that's decentralized. It's basically a window into the ownerships of all tracks that exist. And now, so... You connected your wallet, right? And you have a library, you bought those artists or artists. Now imagine like artists would, you, in your smart contract, you have something that every time your track is played, you get X amount or you get X percent or whatever. I don't exactly know where that X would come from yet, but you could imagine where it doesn't have to go through Spotify. It literally goes directly through to the people who own the track and to the artist directly you know and yeah it's it's fascinating and yeah and that's exactly what it is you know that democratization huh. builds more opportunity and more equity to the artists and so yeah. that to me i mean that's why i couldn't sleep for the last two weeks as well is it, i mean it's, it's a very exciting time and uh and i think this time artists are coming at it full force and in from my second agency from in common like there's been times where like i had to speak to clients and say hey by the way uh oh you want to hire this creative that's part of the team that's awesome but just so you know like they're charging this amount because they're making more money off with nfts than they are with you right now so you really yeah. have to learn how to like give back to creatives otherwise it won't work for you and that's such a powerful leverage we didn't have before so it's it's a new world we're living in pierre it's exciting it is very exciting i'm uh, very curious to see i pulled back a little bit uh from it because i was getting sucked and too hard but uh <laughs> i'm very excited to see what happens um and and how that takes us i'm gonna jump back to something uh to the, to the micro dosing part because i think i need to make a public announcement if you do 
experiment with psychedelics, just be very mindful and understand the risk rewards and everything else around it. It can be beautiful tools, but they're also extremely powerful. So just be careful. It's like uh, taking a sport cars for the first time, you know, you can easily crash into a wall without realizing you accelerated. Yeah. So this is not a medical advice, everything we spoke about here today. And uh, I guess we take no responsibility, sure. but just do the most adultish thing you can. And uh, may, <laughs> Wait, yeah. adults are like big kids. It's bad advice. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> adults are the worst. We're the one screwing up the world. No, I'm joking. <laughs> That's so true. No, I, I just wanted to highlight that because uh, it can be incredibly good uh, tools. But uh, I think just like with everything, there needs to be a, an understanding of uh, of what you're working with and how you're working with it. It's very different from the narrative that we've been fed, where you think you're going to see fireflies and dragons and uh, and uh, and unicorns running around you. Uh, with the wall it's very very so, something so. i'll always remember that you told me pair was in order for you to be untethered at first you need to explore tethered or something like that yeah you know in which like you have to ground yourself a lot more and this is why like i highly recommend meditating before having a journal and journaling before uh being in a good emotion while exploring these these you know these journeys and um and also having a purpose for your journey because you can go out there and just like live it off and just, you know, like let it flow. But I think it's a good idea to, you know, there's cases where people have stopped smoking or stopped drinking or like stopped doing heroin after like four or five, like, uh, like guided trips with, with mushrooms. So like, it is so powerful, but I would recommend for people to have an idea of where they want to go and work through that as they are in this journey. Yeah, and most of the success story you hear from are from people who work in a, a, psych, a psycho-assisted therapy context, psychotherapy context, so context, not contest, <laughs> uh, context. So you, you have to put stuff in perspective. Um, and you can obviously, yeah, I mean, you do what you want in life. You know, it's, it's up to you and to your responsibility and depending on the legalities in your country also. But uh, interesting tools, to say the least, um, to be taken with, with caution, uh, for sure. I, I will, I will tap a little bit more into something. What's, what's next for you with, um, with you, Eric, in terms of creative work, because you've redefined or like you've reworked on like what you're doing. Are you planning to pull back of the commercial or do you want to get involved more into the community and maybe you can speak a little bit about what work you've been doing there because i feel like you're very involved into like you mentioned helping also others uh, find a path either it's as artists or, or just like people in life how do we navigate um the last few months have been elemental in in terms of putting the pieces together for all these things that i think i told you that i haven't done that i i need to do that i feel it in my mm -hmm. heart to do uh i've helped now I think I can comfortably say hundreds of creatives uh, by them, you know, but one-on-ones in which like we look through their, their business, their contracts, their branding positioning, like, Hey, you need a new bio or like, Hey, you've done all these great things, mm -hmm. but you haven't shown them correctly. I want, I want these artists to shine. Yeah. Um, but I realized uh, I can help so many more people, you know, and at a grandier level. So I want to do, I want to, I do want to start a YouTube talking about the business of being a creative 
talking about the 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 ways that you should look into yourself as a brand, as a as a as an entrepreneur, uh, things that uh, you know have costed me uh, so much, so many sleepless nights, so much pain, and so much so much money loss. Um, but I've learned through these experiences, and and I would love to see a 14, 15 year old kid not commit the same mistakes that I did coming up uh, in this business. So so YouTube is a must. Um, I am finished. Actually, we just finished shooting the last episodes for my levitation class. So I want to give it all back. There's no secrets here. I want to be able to be as helpful to other people in finding their art or or, or adding more toolkits to their art form. So my levitation class yeah. will be coming in um, this December. Uh, so that's that's finalizing. And this NFT collection, which I've been putting my heart and soul for the last two weeks. Uh, and then in terms of like, I guess, long-term goals, I am I am still building income. And I did take a little bit of time away from that as I was building all these things around my my IP, my intellectual property that I, I felt I needed to give out and put in, into the world. Um, but coming back to in common, I really want to you know help more creatives through that. I really want to be able to compete against these big agencies um, and bring more money back into the creatives pockets. Uh, and 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 do better work with creatives. And the beautiful thing within Common is what we're doing is also um, bringing more money back to communities. So you see, this the the business model for regular agencies is 80-20, in which 80% of the money that comes in uh, is pretty much revenue. So mm-hmm. they use it for their billing and their and their uh, and their um, um, insurances and and you know like offices and all like all those extra costs. But you, we're dealing with entrepreneurs of their own now, so it's like dealing with all these young, or like well, not even young, like all these world-level creatives from all over the world who can produce agency-level work. And so, yeah. what that allows us to do is to use this eighty percent. So, flip the script. Instead of twenty percent being spent on creatives, we're spending probably ninety percent on creatives and a ten on mm-hmm. educating the creatives. But reinvesting this money back into creatives, and with that money, we still have enough to be able to give back to communities. So one thing um, that I just did with with uh, Red Bull and my good friend Matisse from the 76ers um, two months ago was we just decided to go on a photo walk. We, we produced a photo walk and uh, photos taken at that play, at, during the photo walk are going to be now uh, repurposed and put into a gallery in uh, in uh, Lapson and Hammer, in, which is like this high-end boutique store in um, in Philly uh, to for everybody to see for a couple of days. You know, so it's really nice. putting shining light on creatives once again, shining light on communities once again. And instead of using utilizing all this money and funneling it, funneling it, and then just doing one thing, we can actually afford now through this different um, way of doing business to invest back into communities, to educate more kids, to you know create agencies in the middle of underserved communities, and and have all these young creatives who want to be creatives learn Photoshop or learn photography, learn film, uh, have speakers, you know, and, and I think I'm, I'm, I guess I'm well connected now in, in, in the world of art to, so I can bring in artists or athletes or, or, or big players in the game to talk about just like you and I are doing now on their beginnings, on their travels, on their journeys, on their experiences so that young kids can learn from them. And I think that's, that's super important that, that, you know, we see a lot of brands say they do, but it's just a PR stunt. And I'm telling you this because I've seen it. I am a commercial photographer. It's, I've like, been there. it's like greenwashing. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm tired of that, man. And I think we really need to move the, the if we're going to move it forward, we got to, we can't only speak about it. We have to do it. And so yeah, I'm working with a lot of companies and Red Bull has been an incredible partner um, 
to be able to actually get, get these things moving and, and get these things done and actually move the pendulum forward and educate these kids because that's the best form of marketing. Honestly, it's not even like selling your product, but it's actually helping other people out. And a uh, few brands see that. So I hope more people see that and more, more brands invest in, in projects like in common. That's amazing. I, I love it, especially because, I mean, you, you and I, we've talked about that a little bit, even for just myself, mm. where, you know, you get used to charging X. So you think that's it. And then you, you talk, I talked with you, I talked with two other people in New York and suddenly I'm like, whoa, you're wow, not charging okay. enough, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't be charging more. Interesting. Okay. Let's, let's send them double of what they were proposing. I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to give them like 30% more, which uh, sounded okay, but I still felt like it was low. And then I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's go. Like I was an agency. And if you think about as if you were an agency, even if you're less people, suddenly you're like, whoa, okay. So if those guys, if let's say Adobe contracts an agency and then that agency pays you, you're like, Adobe is already throwing so much money at the agency. And that agency's goal now is to get it as cheap as possible with the best results, depending on what kind of contract they have with the agency. But even if it's a contract where Adobe gives them a hundred case budget and the agency and Adobe is like, you get 20% of that, that budget, their goal is going to be spending that budget as much as possible, you know, yeah. but not necessarily on creatives. It could be on, on many things. You, you pointed out something um, useful, which you said, you know, itemizing it in a sense, you know, and that, that's yes. the thing that I've realized. So, so I developed a system and now we've included it in common with most of our artists, but it's called a leverage sheet. Uh, and what I do is all my experiences, all my previous clients, all of the things I have to bring to the table. Because remember, when you're a photographer or creative, you're not just a photographer or creative. You're producing it. You're art directing it. You're creative directing it. You, you might be uh, scouting. You might be um, uh, even the post-production editing. You know, all these are different elements. Uh, renting, right? All of these are different elements that agencies charge by the hour sometimes or like by, by mm -hmm. the project. And so if you start itemizing all these things uh, and then having conversations with companies or brands that want to work with you with an itemized perspective of like, oh, you want to do a photo shoot? Oh, so you want me to produce it? Oh, so you want me to scout it? Oh, you also want me to do the creative direction and come up with the idea? Oh, okay. All of these things are a different budget because that's how agencies work. And guess what? People are not going to treat you like, well, who the hell does this person think he is? But they're actually going to treat you with more respect because now you know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about all the different tools and systems that you use to create the beautiful image that you do, the beautiful work that you do. So it's all about learning that lingo from a business perspective. So you can show these companies the ROI. Oh, that's why he or she costs so much. Because the issue I think is at times uh, is, is, is very polar because there's artists that don't know how to charge enough because they think like, oh my God, but I'm just shooting a photo. No, you're doing all these things that I just told you about. And then there's other artists who are like, yeah, it's going to be a hundred K And you're like, um, yeah. explain to me why that's 100K. And then they can't explain it to you. And then they look like assholes. So Because my name is, is Mr. Mr. Yeah, Mr. You know, Mr. It's, it's, whatever, you know, whatever ego. So it's, it's it, the thing is bringing it back, talking directly. And I've always been a man of like, I listen, I don't want to overcharge. And I, want, I just want yeah. to charge what's right. I want to charge 
through all the work that I've done and you see the kind of quality that you're working with and you see how my productions work. I just want to charge what's fair. I want you to pay me what's fair and I want you to be happy. I want you to be a happy customer. And that's, I yeah. think, where a good transaction and a good uh, long, uh, long-term long business partnership can exist. You know, But if you're trying to take and they're trying to take, I mean, a world full of takers just leads to nothing. And and I, I don't like living in that world. Yeah, it's uh, like someone put it for me. It's a, it's a world of we're just trying to extract, 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 but you have nothing. Uh, it's a it's a great point. I that's something I always saw. Like, okay, you're ready to pay this. How do we make sure you get value out of it? And sometimes it takes, especially if you're creative and you have an audience, to just think for a few seconds if you work with a phone brand and they have a thousand dollar phone and you created a campaign. How many people do you need to influence to actually for them to make a positive ROI? You know, like <laughs> when yeah. you think about it, like their thousand dollar phone is already with including all their margins, right? So if you take that price and you influence ten people out of I don't know thousands that watch your video, <laughs> you're already making well, money back. <laughs> sorry, you're already at ten k. You know, and you influence ten people to potentially buy it, and when you think about it like that, you're like, oh, it doesn't make sense. Sometimes how little one might charge for certain commercial and influence work. And it makes sense why bigger people charge so much in a way, because after a while, after you stay long enough in the game, you start to understand like the value behind it. In the beginning, I think you don't see it. That's why you see a lot of uh, talk around micro influencer who are better because obviously it's cheaper when people don't really know their, yeah. their worth at the beginning. And, and brand partnership is, is a thing too. You know, we need to look at ourselves, as I said before, you, you're a brand. You are, if you're a business, you're a brand and you represent something. So it's redefining what do you represent and what kind of brands do you want to align yourself? Mm-hmm. So like the way I've always looked at myself is like, I want to be an Apple in my business. How can I look yeah. at myself as an Apple within this industry? Oh, my website needs to be flawless. Uh, my email signature needs to be flawless. The marketing behind needs to be flawless. My presentation needs to be flawless. When I communicate to people, I need to communicate this way. Like it, it's so much more than just the picture, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's the whole experience around the business. And um, that's exactly the way that you should look at yourself going forward as a creative, if you're listening, you know, think of yourself 100. as a brand and yeah, aim for the stars. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. Look at yourself like an experience, uh, Eric. I think I like what you're saying. You're bringing an experience, not just the art. That's true. It's very, very true. Uh, I love it. I think we, I want to be mindful with our time. Uh, I think we'll put a hold here and <laughs> keep some for a future episode, especially after in a few months, I'll be curious to see where things have gone with, with, with your new directions and everything. And, when New York's coming, New York coming back to life. Also, it was incredibly busy, by the way. Oh, it's crazy! It's crazy right now. I'm like, where are all those people coming from? And it's <laughs> they cold were hiding now underground. Too. It's cold now too, and people are still coming out like it's 1967. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, Eric. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, yeah, I'd love to do a round two in the future, so we can uh, dig into more aspects. Maybe if you guys have. Any questions around what we talked about, uh, we'll put a link in the description. I'll put a few links around topics that maybe we didn't dive into, but I think are good to explore. And um, yeah, uh, Eric, what a blast. 
Pierre, thank you so much for having me and for everybody um, that listened through these. That's a lot. It's an hour and almost two hours. Wow, it's a lot, you know, through this this long period. It's a it's a pleasure to talk to you, Pierre. Thank you so much for having me and always being such a good friend. And thank you to everybody listening. If if you had to leave people with a thought for the post-COVID world, or actually we don't even know if there will be a post, but the after we think we're all gonna die. <laughs> Damn, I can get very philosophical really quick now. Uh, <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, I think it's a mix of what are you doing and who are you doing it for? And are you happy? And if those, those three things, you get to solve those three things, I think you'll find out a lot about the purpose of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And hopefully that leads you in a direction that is more keen to uh, your sensibility as a human, not just as somebody who wants to, you know do the whatever on this earth. Cause there's much more than that. Yeah, I think the, the purpose of, of your being is, is, is powerful. So dig in for that. I love it. Thank you so much, Eric. Uh, everyone, Eric Hercules, you'll find everything in the show notes. Uh, go say hi on Instagram and all the different platforms. Good morning. Welcome. This episode is about to get started, but before that, a few things you should know. First of all, this show is brought to you for free. To support, please consider sharing the episode with your friend, leaving a great review or signing up for my bi-monthly top five email. What is it? It's a free email that I craft twice a month and send out to thousands of you where I share what inspired me recently, books and film that had an impact on me, but also gear and tips and things I've been thinking about lately that really impacted me in a way. If you too want to join in on the fun, please visit ptl.fm forward slash top five top five and you will be in for the next edition now last but not least all podcast show notes are available at ptl.fm forward slash podcast thank you so much for being here and let's get started